Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter number 6. 2 Kings chapter number 6. And I, I wonder if anybody is feeling any type of pressure in their life right now. I, I haven't met many people that that do not feel some kind of pressure almost all the time, but really right now, maybe it's at a height that, that it hasn't been before, at least in our lifetime. You've got you've got radical political scenarios going on, you've got you've got uh, pandemic uh, you know, going one way or the other, and then you don't know who to trust about the pandemic or not the pandemic. You got all these different things. I, I can just tell you, let me, let me just make this one comment about, you know, COVID and all that. I think we ought to be wise as we absolutely can be, but I, I do not believe that fear is the answer. But many people, and matter of fact, I would say nearly everybody's experiencing pressure. And so many times we, we look at what we're going through and it, it just almost seems like it'll never end. It's kind of the, one of the tricks of the devil is he'll convince you that where you are is where you're going to be. But the problem with, with that scenario is many times what used to be a blessing to you becomes a prison. Because there's one thing about God that he always expects change. So if you decide to stay stuck with whatever you are or wherever you are, just know you have reached as far as you will go in God because God is never going to take you to a place that does not require another level of humility and another level of flesh being crucified in your life. It's just the way of it. And blessings turn to prisons very quickly. I I, I remember when Crystal and I, when we got married... We, we, I rented a, an apartment for us before we got married so that as soon as we got married, we could, we could live in this apartment. And, and, and I was so excited about the apartment until I tried to put a queen size bed in the bedroom. And I was like, well, I mean, does a bed have to be flat? I don't know. Maybe we'll just, you know, kick it up on one side or something. I'm talking, this apartment was so tight. You had to ask, are you in the hallway to know if you could make it through the hallway? It was a one-person wide hallway. You know what I'm talking about? You could be in the kitchen, and that's all that was going to be in the kitchen. You're sitting there washing dishes, and somebody said, can you hand me the milk? And they went like this. Here. I'm talking tight. But when we were first married, I was like, look at this place. I got us, babe. Woo. I mean, we had a porch that was like, one foot by one foot, I think. It was really nice. And you could fit the leg of a lawn chair on the porch. <laughs> but we were blessed. That's how we felt. And then we, we moved down to the Houston area. And, and, and I remember, I said, man, I, well, I need to find a, a really nice apartment because, because I'm going to be traveling a lot. I want to make sure everything's really good, really nice. So we rented this apartment that overlooked a golf course. You know what that meant? We could afford to watch people have fun, but we couldn't afford to have any fun ourselves. <laughs> wow, it looks so fun. Whack. Look at them go. Had, had reserved parking spots. I found out that P 
people don't necessarily respect your reserved parking spot. I remember thinking day one, I was like, man, we're downstairs. We're not hauling the couch upstairs. And I didn't realize it, but literally there must have been a clogging instructor that lived on the second floor above us. I'm talking river dance every night at 11 p.m. I was like, how is it possible for you to be stomping on that side of the apartment and that side of the apartment at the exact same time? Well, we thought we were blessed. So we got into the first apartment and then we thought, man, this place is plenty big. And then we started buying some stuff. And we realized we should have measured before we bought a couch. And it wasn't because the apartment shrunk. We grew. Some of you are feeling pressure and you're blaming the walls around you when the reality is, is the walls didn't do anything wrong. They used to be a blessing, but they've become a prison, not because they shrunk, but because you grew. You can't put an elephant in a shoebox, but a mouse can use it as a track. As you grow, you have to know that where you are may not be where you're going to be. I'm not talking about just physically. I'm not talking about geography. I'm talking about, I'm talking about spiritually. You're going to have to go to whole, to a whole new level in your love walk. You're going to have to go to a whole new level in how you speak. You're going to have to go to a whole new level in your honor. You're going to have to go to a whole new level in your ability to discern your own flesh. You know what people are really good at? Looking at other people's flesh. You know, if they would have done this, I think they ought to do that. They should have done this. They should have done that. You know what I found? I found it's never wisdom to take criticism or even constructive criticism from somebody who's never constructed anything. I have found that people that, that, that don't do anything have a lot of time to judge what you're doing. This makes sense? So what happens is when you're feeling this pressure, a lot of times, a lot of times it just means you're going to have to move on a little bit spiritually. I remember I, when I, when I was in, in, in college and, and, you know, it was on fire for God. I had some really good friends that were that were believers, and 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 as I got as I got more along, I realized like I can't keep having these chicken level conversations when God says we're supposed to soar like an eagle. So it wasn't like I was mad at them. It just meant I had to lay aside some things for the sake of the cause of Christ. And everybody's not going to understand the decision you make. And I want you to know that's okay. You can't, you can't sit and, and, and wonder what everybody's going to think about your, about your life. Because it, believe it or not, everybody else is not going to answer for your life. So whoever has to answer for it, they ought to have the authority and the opportunity to make a decision about it. So what I want to talk this morning about is what happens when the pressure gets so big that all of a sudden you realize something's got to change in your life. Well, go to 2 Kings uh, chapter number 6. The Bible says this, the sons of the prophets, they said to Elisha, he, he's the prophet at the time, behold, the place where we dwell with you is too straight for us. Or, or one translation says, it's too cramped for us now. 
Where we were, where we are, which is a blessing, has gotten too restricted. You know, I can say this about this building. I love this building. It's a blessing from God. We bought it several years ago, and we've made a lot of improvements, and the hand of God has, has done beautiful, wonderful things. But man, these walls are going to have to get out of the way. We have too much to do. Sooner or later, if you don't make a change and take some steps, the blessing that was becomes your prison of is. The Bible says there was a prophet was sent and, and he had to kind of go into hiding. And the Bible says that he said, go out here. I'm going to put you, uh, I'm going to put you by a, a creek or a brook. He said, and you can drink from that. And I'm going to have a bird of raven bring you food every day. And the Bible says that it was, it was there that he was sustained and he was just waiting on God. And then one day, listen to this, the brook dried up. The place of blessing immediately became a prison. Many times in your life, in my life, it's not that the situation has gone wrong. It's just that you've grown. Used to, you couldn't, you couldn't stomach what I'm saying right now. Because when you first get born again, all you need is the milk of the word. Just give me some milk. You know, a, a baby can't eat a ribeye until you have digested it. It's not that they're not eating the ribeye. It's that, that it is being eaten in a completely different form. That's why when you are discipling somebody and sharing the word of God with them, you have to make sure that you're not throwing a big carcass in front of them and expecting a baby to digest it. You're going to have to take it in yourself. And one of the reasons the word always talks about milk is because the milk has already been processed. It's a steak or it's, it's, it's corn or whatever else the mother has eaten. It's just in a completely different form. So you've got to take the word of God on the inside and then feed it to people who are in that situation. But you better not stay a baby in this kingdom or sooner or later people are going to get tired of changing your diapers. Sooner or later people are going to get tired. Listen, the Bible says, can I just put it real clear? The difference between you and a baby is you're supposed to change yourself and a baby has to be changed. A baby has to be changed often. But we want people to change us. We look at God and say, if you want me changed, you change me. The devil is a liar. Jesus said it is finished when he was on the cross. What he did, he did. Now he's put it on you and me. The Bible says it's effectively like we have taken the baton of the kingdom of God and we are supposed to be running our race with respect and honor to those who are actually watching us do it. But if, but if you have to have somebody keep on patting you on the bottom, come on somebody. If you got to have somebody change your mess all the time, sooner or later, you've got to make a decision to grow out of what used to be a blessing to you. There's a shift that has to come in every household. If, if you're married and, and you guys just got born again or just now serving God, you got to understand there's some things that you used to talk about you don't talk about now. If you're a Christian and, and you just got born again, there's some stuff you should be abstaining from. Sin will kill you. And a Christian that stays in sin will kill everyone around them. Because they can then justify their actions based off the fact, well, Billy's a Christian and he sits at the bar till 2 o'clock in the morning. I guess I can do it too. 
He's no different than I am. When the Bible says, come out from among them. The scripture says, in verse 1, he says, he said, it's too, it's too tight where we dwell. Where I dwell doesn't fit me anymore. What is it that you haven't let go of since you grabbed his hand? Because where you used to dwell is not where you should dwell. If you're going to follow God, there cannot be anything restricted from the altar. It can't be, I serve God, but I'm not, I'm not having my money involved in religion. I serve God, but you know what? I'm just not going to be raising my hands in church. Boy, I sound like I'm from East Texas this morning. Church. I serve God, but I'm not going to you know, talk about him on the job site. You think God's going to send you to Tanzania if you can't win your office cubicle? I, I, I always get so, so tickled at people that are waiting on God to send them somewhere, but they haven't even told their neighbor that they're born again. It's too much, Jake. It's quiet in here. Selah. <laughs> that, means, that means think about it. It means stop. Think about it. So many different times we look around and we want to blame the walls when the truth is, is the walls didn't shrink. We changed. He said, I, I, I got to do something else. I got, I got to get out of here. Prophet, can we move? Can we move? He says, yeah, verse 2. He said, well, let us go. To the, he said, let's go to the Jordan. He said, and take every person a beam or a log and let's, let's build us a place there. Somebody say there. There has to be a there for you. There has to be a place where you dwell. The house of God, it's, it's not an idea that you and I came up with. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. The Bible says that the church is literally Jesus' fiance or Jesus' wife, depending on where you want to look at it in the, on the timeline of eternity. But for you and for me, it can't be a place where you come and punch in and punch out like this is the job site or something that you're trying to just check off your list for the week. It has to be a place where you dwell. See, the church is not this building. The church is the people sitting in the building. The church is the people tuned in right now because they couldn't get to the house. And I encourage you. I, I, I'm thrilled that you're tuned into this. But I'm telling you, if you live anywhere and you can get to a New Heights church service in person, your life will never be the same. But church is not something that you just come and go and come and go. It's a place where you dwell. The people that experience the fullness of what God is doing at New Heights are the people who are pulling the wagon alongside the other members of our First Touch team. If you just come in here and suck up the air conditioning and suck up the anointing and then leave, I promise you, you're missing more of God than you're getting. Because it's those that serve the house that get to experience him in ways that, 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 that it's, it's almost impossible to describe, to be honest with you. It's very challenging to describe how, how a conversation about being an usher can change your life. It's very challenging to describe how joining the parking lot team and, and, and you find this relationship that helps you in your marriage because he's been there longer than you've been married. It's amazing how, how, how becoming a greeter can give you access to prayer warriors that can literally tear the gates of hell down with their bare hands. 
Because the church is not, the church is, it's not something that you attend. It's supposed to be somewhere that you dwell. Dare I say, we have commercialized church. We sit and we watch six episodes in a row of our favorite Netflix series, but we're staring at our watch if the preacher goes two minutes over. Not here, thank God. (laughs) You guys are kind of the opposite. Every preacher in America wants to come here. Every preacher I talk to says, my favorite place, they always have to say this, other than my own church, is New Heights Church. They'll pull you off the platform. I say, yes, praise the Lord. I talked to one minister that travels all over the world. They said to me this, they said, New Heights Church is the holiest ground I've ever stepped on. They've delivered Bibles into villages where it's illegal to have a Bible in Asia. And they said to me, New Heights Church is the holy. He said, when you drive onto the property, the anointing of God just overwhelms you. Number one, that's true. Number two, she's got an expectation for that to happen. You and I are supposed to dwell with God. This morning... We had an encounter with his presence that was a manifestation of his presence, of his omnipresent self, making it aware, making our senses aware that he is near. So many different times it, it can be it can become something that we just do or something that we just wish we wish we'd have been there or we wish we hadn't, or or we, we end up struggling to find the time when the reality is it's not about time, it's about whether or not you're actually dwelling communing, the people sitting next to you, you will spend all of eternity with them. Why would we wait till then to get to know each other? I sense, I sense just a real gravity on this word that I didn't experience in the first service. A very different thing when you realize dwelling with God is possible. One of my favorite, I, I love all the names of the Lord. And if you say, well, I thought his name was Jesus. Well, his name is Jesus, but you don't just call your kid their name. I call, I call, I call Trinity, she's our third one. Her name is Trinity Bell, which Bell means beautiful. Uh, Trinity means three. So basically, she's our beautiful third child. That's, that's why we named her that. But, but I call her everything. Trin, Trin, Ann. Call her Trink. Call her Tinkerbell. And none of those names disrespect her actual name. They actually verify my affection for her. So when you're aware of his names, the things that describe him, it opens something up to you. But one of my favorite is, is this. He will be called Emmanuel. God with us. God didn't just want to save us. He wanted to dwell with us. The man says to the prophet, he goes, where we are, it's too restricted. It's not enough room. He said, said, let's go and let's let's, let's go build a bigger, better place to dwell. Somebody say dwell. Verse 3, and one said, be content, I pray, and go with us. He asked Elijah to go with him. Verse 4, he said, so he went with him and they came to the Jordan. Listen to this. And they cut down wood. Somebody say cut down wood. You know, there was a, there, the first miracle that we actually see Jesus do is when he turned water into wine. The Bible says that his mom came to Jesus, Mary, and said, Jesus, the, the people have run out of wine, and, and, and I want you to help them fix it. 
And Jesus is like, man, it's not my time yet, Mom. And he's, she's like, well, she looks over at the servant. She said, whatever Jesus says, do it. If you're looking for a word to write down today, whatever Jesus says, do it. If he said lay hands on the sick, lay hands on the sick. You can't lay hands on the sick in heaven. If he said make disciples, make disciples. You can't go evangelizing in heaven. <laughs> you will be uh, unsuccessful. <laughs> Whatever Jesus says, do it. If he says tithe and offer, tithe and offer. If he says lay hands on the sick, lay hands on the sick. If he says be baptized in the spirit, be baptized in the spirit. If he says be baptized in water, be baptized in water. But you gotta, you gotta get to the point where what Jesus said is what we're gonna do. Not what I feel, not what I think. I'm gonna find out what did the book say and that is what I am going to do. Give God a hand of praise if you agree with that. So Mary tells Jesus, tells the services, whatever he says, do it. Jesus says, go get some barrels of water, some buckets of water, the big pots of water. And the Bible says that whenever they began to pour out, that Jesus had turned the water into wine. And everybody at the party had no idea where the wine came from. But the Bible says the servants knew from whence it came. Did you know those that serve the kingdom get to see the miraculous? And those that don't, they just get to see it, but they have no clue what made it happen. They have no clue that the calluses on your knees are the reason they're in church today. They have no idea. But you and me, we get to go to another place. Everybody say, cut down wood. The reason I'm saying this is because even your next place still has work for you. God's not taking you to another level expecting you to sit on the sidelines. He has something for you to do there just like he has something for you to do here. Whatever your next level is, the responsibility doesn't go down. The responsibility actually goes up. So the, the, the young man that was talking to Elijah, he says, I'm not asking to go to a place and not put my hand to the plow. That's called a taker. But the Bible says that God gives, come on somebody, and he takes away. The Bible says you are in his likeness and in his image. If all you're doing is taking in the kingdom, you might just be treating God like a butler. Clean up on aisle six, God. Help me again, Jesus. I messed up again, but there's been no interaction the other way. There's been no serving the people of God, no serving the house of God, no serving the things of God, no evangelism, no witnessing. Nobody on your job site even knows you're saved. Help me, Lord. I messed up again. When all the while you're saying, take me to a new place. And he's saying, you still got to cut down wood there. So if you can't cut down wood where you're at, I'm not going to send you to the new place because the new place has bigger, bigger timber. He says, he says, he says, they get there and they begin to cut down wood. Verse five. But as one was falling a beam or cutting down a tree, listen to this, the axe head fell into the water and he cried and said, alas, master, it was borrowed. 
So you got a guy and, and he's cutting down wood. And, and while he's cutting down wood, I don't know if you've ever cut down a tree with an axe, but cutting down a tree with an axe is no small task. Matter of fact, it verifies that chainsaws are better. Praise the Lord. But when you're cutting down a tree with an axe, a lot of times you got to make sure that the axe head's not going to fall off. There's all kind of different tricks that you can use to do that. Sometimes you put a little piece of, a little more wood in there. Sometimes you take a nail and drive it in there and it holds it on there a little bit further. But he's swinging the, he's swinging his axe and he's cutting down a tree and the axe head flies off and flies into the water and sinks out of sight. And the guy is worried because he borrowed it. In other words, he's now in debt. When you're in debt, that means there's somebody that's expecting you to give them something. And most of the time, it's something you don't have. Because if you had it, you'd have probably given it to him. Then you wouldn't be in debt anymore. So he's sitting there swinging his axe. And while he's swinging his axe, it flies in the water. Can I just say this? While you're busy about your father's business, there's going to be some stuff that happens. Stop acting like just because you stubbed your toe, God fell off the throne. Stop acting like just because the radiator went out in the car again that somehow the will of God is disrupted in your life. Sometimes things just happen. The axe head fell in the water. It happens, but you know who it doesn't happen to? People that aren't doing anything. So if you don't want to deal with any problems, then I got the solution for you. Just don't do anything. Just sit back. Don't do anything. And join the chorus of all the people that are complaining about all of us who are actually trying. Peter said, Jesus, is that you? He said, it's me, Peter. What are you guys doing in the boat? This water is awesome. He said, well, can I walk on the water too? He goes, of course you can walk on the water. You can do all things. Swing a leg over, Peter. He goes, now, wait a minute. You did call me the rock. Am I going to sink like a... He said, not if you look at me. He throws his leg over the side of the boat. He starts walking kind of tentatively, I would imagine, until he realizes that the water is actually holding him up. And then he did what I would have done. He turned around to the other disciples and said, why are you guys so scared? I'm just kidding. takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. Jesus reaches down, picks him up, protects him again. And I've heard people say this. Oh, Peter's faith failed. He sunk in the water. He's the only man in history except for the Son of God to walk on water. I don't call that a failure. It's real easy to be critical from the boat. It's real easy to be critical from the beach. It's real easy to be critical 2,000 years later without smelling the salt air crashing on his face and seeing the foam lapping between waves. It's real easy to be critical of somebody's faith when you're not in the arena. I'm talking about going to a whole nother level. You got to realize what you were is not what God wants you to be. It's time for another iteration of yourself. It's time for a night when you might get thrown in hotel lion and have to sleep with your head nestled up in the mane of the king of beasts, knowing that the king of kings has shut their mouths. I'm talking about a shift. Going to an entirely different plane with this stuff. Refusing to be the same. The most dangerous thing you could ever be is the same. 
from glory to glory. The reason God doesn't change is because he's already perfect. The reason you ought to change is because you still got some work. The Bible says the man was sitting there swinging his axe. An axe head flies in the water. And he doesn't run to the bank. He doesn't run to the creditor. He runs straight to the man of God, which represents the things of God walking on the planet. And he says to him, Master, I got a big problem here. I had borrowed that. And the Bible says the man of God says, where did it fall in? And he showed him the place and he cut down a stick and he threw it there. Can I just say this? The man of God didn't say, why did it fall in? The man of God didn't say, well, who did you borrow it from? The man of God didn't say, well, why were you cutting down a tree so close to the creek? Because the devil wants you to try to pinpoint exactly why everything went wrong instead of just going to the one who can fix it. Oh, was it the devil? Was it me? Was it some sin from my past? Is it some kind of bondage? Is there some kind of a devil trying to work its way into the things of my life? What's going on? I've just decided this. The name of Jesus is above everything that can be named. So I just plan on putting the name of Jesus on every single problem I run into. Somebody say iron. iron. Iron, when it falls in water, it's not miraculous that it's sunk. There's nothing special about it sinking. But the Bible says the man of God goes and he takes and he cuts down a stick and he throws it in the water where the axe head sunk. And when he throws it in the water where the axe head sunk, King James says it like this, the, the axe head or the iron began to swim. I don't know about you, but there is a scripture I remember that says iron sharpens iron. Anytime... You hear something in the Bible and you can tie it to something else in the Bible that helps you translate it because the Bible is actually designed to translate itself. You don't have to have 15 other books to translate the Bible. You just got to know the whole Bible. Therefore, you, you got to know more of the Bible than the one verse that you're reading. Then you can tie everything together. So the Bible says you got this piece of iron that's stuck in the mud. Now, for you and for me, the first thing we need is a diver. We need somebody with, with, take your shoes off. You're going to have to really feel down in the mud there to try to find that thing. We're going to need somebody that can hold their breath real good. But God said, I don't need something that looks like the same thing. Can I say it differently? Your friends and family don't need you stuck in the mud next to them. I grew up in East Texas. We used to like to take like trucks and four-wheelers and all kind of stuff. And we'd go, you know, get out in the mud and we'd drive them around until they get stuck. When I say it out loud, it doesn't sound nearly as fun as it actually was. But it was fun. But the one thing that never helped, the one that was stuck, was another guy getting stuck right next to him. And every time that we tried, well, almost without exception, let me put it like that. Somebody would say, you're stuck, but I won't get stuck in what stuck you. And they think they can crawl into what is holding you and crawl out. See, Christianity is about coming out from among them. 
Not taking your saved self and getting stuck in the same mess that they're stuck in. What they need to see is the water that they are drowning in. It's possible to live on the top of it. That's why the man of God went and threw a stick. You and me need a scuba diver. The man of God says, I need an example. Show that iron what is possible. Show the iron that everything doesn't sink. My God. Show the iron that the water doesn't drown everybody. See, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And the water that destroyed the earth caused Noah and his family to just go up and up and up and up and up and up. In other words, they were sitting there looking and going, I missed it. I could have floated on what has become my destruction. Many of you are here today and you have family members. You have friends that are watching you. And I just want you to know that's not going to stop. They don't need to see you stuck in the same mud. They need to see you elevating above what's drowning everybody else. You don't have to go through life the way the world goes through life. You're going to have your own problems, surely enough. But you don't have to sit there and live the same way, questioning God every time something happens. Worried till your, to your, to your stress level goes to a 10. When all the while, God has the ability to make a piece of iron just like you respond to a piece of wood. I'm reminded about an old rugged cross. If you can just see the cross, you realize that what is killing you doesn't have to have the final say. The iron looked and saw the wood saw the stick floating and all of a sudden realized it wasn't made to live on the bottom. It was made to build. An axe is not made to look at even though they do make nice decoration in certain environments and cabins and all kind of things. But an axe was never made to be stared at. And an axe was never made to be stuck in the mud. An axe was made to build. And your next level and your next area is going to mean you got to build at a different pace than you were building before. It means you've got to shift. Come on, give God some praise in His house. I'm talking about a shift. The Bible says that, he, that, he, that he, 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 he threw the stick in there and it caused the iron to rise to the top. Verse 7, this is the last point I'm going to make. He said to him, he said, now take it up. And he put out his hand and he took the axe. One of the most terrifying things to live with is shame. Because you did something and you feel like you're disqualified from being used by God anymore.
You feel like because I did this or I didn't do this, he would never use me in that area again. And he's holding the ax out to you today and say, get to work. I'm not holding anything against you. I pulled you out of the, dare I say, miry clay you were stuck in. I placed you back on a solid rock. And now it's time for you to get back to work. You can't be what you were and accomplish what I need now. You got to change. It's, it's not the situation. It's not the area. It's not the building. It's not your house. None of it shrunk. You got bigger and you're supposed to. You're supposed to be different. When you walk into the family reunion or you go to Thanksgiving and say, you're different, you ought to just say thank you. We're supposed to be. Well, I don't understand. We used to get along so good. Yeah, I used to drink all the time and now I don't. Kind of weird for you, not for me. Well, you used to be different. You used to be way different. Yeah, I used to roll in the mud with all the stuff that would come out of my mouth, but now I don't. And it makes it really awkward for you. I'm not trying to be awkward for you, but I'm telling you, I'm not stuck in that same mud anymore. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Your family and friends don't need somebody stuck next to them. They need somebody floating on the surface saying, come out of that stuff. Come on, Lazarus, come forth. Talking about a change. Give God some praise if you want to change. He said, I don't want to be where I used to be. I want Jesus more than anything. Pull me out, Jesus. Stand to your feet if you would. And then when he puts the tool back into your hands, use it. My God, use it. Don't sit there and go, but I don't know if I'm worthy. I'll just tell you, you're not. None of us are. But the blood of Jesus makes us free. I don't have anything to claim but Christ and him alone. I got a blood-stained cross that testifies of my freedom. I got an empty grave that verifies of the power that assures it. And I got a king who's going to come split the eastern sky to get me one day. And I'm not backing off just because the world doesn't understand. You got to put the tool in your hand and build. And when you get tired of working, it's real simple. You got to wait on the let your strength be renewed one more time. Because what you've done is not all you're going to do. I hear that in my spirit so strong. For some of you, what you've done is not all you're going to do. It may look different than before, and different can be a very, very good thing. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. 
That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.